What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with Dan Favalli, and today we're going to have kind of a unique episode. It's something that Dan and I have done each of the last two years. Uh, leading up to the Rising Stars Challenge, we like to take all the young guys involved, there are 20 this year, and draft them onto our own teams. Sort of a friendly little competition to see how we evaluate these players and who can build the best squad from those 20 players. So we're going to do that for you guys live. We have not premeditated these picks. They will all well, be on the spot. We already know who's going number one. That's kind of premeditated. We do. And fortunately, since I won Rock, Paper, Scissors before the episode started, that means that I am going to be adding Carl Anthony Towns number one overall. I think it's a pretty obvious pick here, even though there are some other strong players in the field, because he's just done everything for the Timberwolves this year. I mean, we're talking about an absolute potential superstar who's really already making an impact. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $2084 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Large enough that if he'd been on the Western Conference All-Star team, I don't know that I really would have complained. No, I, I actually I wrote about him being a snub because I thought he should have been there. Um, if you were going to give it to Aldridge, I think Towns definitely deserved it more than Aldridge did. I think he's absolutely having a better season than Aldridge. I mean, LaMarcus has been great on defense for the Spurs this year, but his offense really hasn't been there, which is completely counter to everything we saw in Portland and I guess in some ways speaks to the San Antonio system. But Towns has been phenomenal on both ends. and. I'm going to use him a lot better than Sam Mitchell has because I'm going to let him shoot more. I'm going to let him play more. Right. I mean, and he's been better offensively, um, Aldridge, that is, over the past like seven or ten games or so. But Towns just, from the start of the season, you know, you talk about LaMarcus Aldridge getting acclimated to a new system, and you definitely deserve a learning curve. Towns is getting acclimated to the NBA in itself, and he's playing for a coach that doesn't necessarily use him in optimal fashion just yet. So... He's just been impressive all around, and I wonder how long, just because he plays in Minnesota and the front court is so stacked out west, I honestly do wonder how long it will be before he makes his first All-Star game. I think it could happen as soon as next year. It could, but will it? Probably I thought it not. could happen this year. Probably not. I mean, the front court is just still so stacked in the west, and that's really not going to change anytime soon. I mean, right. we look at guys this year, like Blake Griffin didn't get into the All-Star game, right, because he was hurt. Like, he's definitely going to be back next year. Uh, it's it's just so crowded that it's tough to see him breaking into that pack, even though he probably should deserve it next year. For sure. Um, I'm going to make a pick, and I am going with, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to make Bales pretty happy here, with Rodney Hood. He's been incredibly good, and I've been on his bandwagon since last season. I don't know if it was overexposure to Bailey talking about him or something, but he really does everything, and he's 
the perfect low usage player. He can attack off the dribble and create his own shot, but he scores very efficiently off the catch. He's a phenomenal passer. He's a pretty good defender. This is someone who I think that isn't talked about enough even now, and yet could be an all-star one day. And that's really the direction the league is trending in. These wings who can play and defend multiple positions, can score with and without the ball, and can keep the rock moving. And I think he satisfies all those requirements. Yeah, it's funny to me going into the season that we had the Alec Burks versus Rodney Hood debate. And I think it's pretty clear now that it's Hood who is the future at that position for Utah. And Burke should either be moved at the trade deadline or they should think about moving him this offseason because they need to hand more minutes to this guy. I mean, hes I don't think he's even playing as well now as he could. He's only shooting like 36% from beyond the arc, and he's a more talented shooter than that. So as he continues to gain comfort in this role, I think you're going to see him featured as the go-to scorer on the Jazz. Yeah, I mean, it might always be a little bit curved just because Gordon Hayward is that point forward, and I also think they will eventually get a point guard in there, whether it's Dante Exum coming in next year or if they get Teague this season. What's interesting, though, is like you said, is he probably will be even better than he is now because, one, he can do more on offense, and two, I think part of his shooting percentages, specifically from deep, being a little bit lower than they could be, has to do with the Jazz playing big, and there not being a lot of space, so defenders don't really have to collapse. But the Jazz have been experimenting with those small ball lineups ever since Derek Favors initially got injured, and they've sort of continued. And that's helped Hood a lot offensively. And as time goes on and they, they continue with that model or expand upon it, and he grows, I mean, it, he's only a sophomore, right? Or has he been. No, like, this is just, only his second year. Yeah, so it, it's incredible that he's already come this far. Well, I think it's also worth noting that he's a good passer, too. You know, oh, we don't sure. we don't give him enough credit for that. He's averaging 2.6 assists per game this year, three per 36 minutes. But given how often he has, or how infrequently he has the ball in his hands um, for these Jazz, that's a pretty solid number, especially for a second year player. I'm going to say, and you saw this before I tweeted it, and I'm, I actually think it'll lead into your next pick if I'm correct, quite nicely. And it's it's a very specific stat, but I think it highlights how efficiently he's able to score and do so in low usage while passing. There are three players this season uh, who are averaging 17 points, three assists per 36 minutes while shooting at least 35% from deep and posting a usage rate lower than 23. Chris Middleton, Rodney Hood, and Nikola Jokic. Yeah, I have no idea what that has to do with Nerland's Noel, but it was a good effort. Really? Yeah, I'm going to take Noel here because I want to have just the most ridiculous young defensive front court possible. I don't think we gave Noel enough credit for how good he was on defense as a rookie. I mean, we're talking about some of the best defensive numbers in the league, and he was really the reason that that Philadelphia 76ers team started to make some strides on the defensive end. His offensive game is definitely limited. I'm not sure that I really need a stretch four on this team because I have Towns acting as a stretch five. So I'm going to take all of the rim protection and just swat everything that you attempt to throw at the basket. Man, I mean, that's not a bad way to go. I'm a little surprised. I think, and you're probably right, I myself am probably not giving Nerlens Noel enough credit because the Sixers' defense has been worse this year, and that's going to happen when you have Julio Okafor who probably plays less defense than you or I. So that's definitely an issue. His offense is never going to blossom in Philadelphia. That's probably why it's difficult to imagine. They don't even use him yet as a good pick-and-roll guy. Like, that's not being – like, he could could be – let's even say he's Clint Capella in terms of – like, they don't even use him to that extent. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty similar here. I mean, looking up and down the rosters of this Team USA and the world team in the Rising Stars Challenge, we have so many guys – who want to go out and create their own offense and and can do that to some extent. So I think it's easier to spend an early pick on a straight defensive guy, especially when you can pair him with Towns. All right, well, if you're going to go Nerlens Noel, I was always going to go this route. I am taking my new favorite basketball player ever, Kristaps Porzingis. Um, and I'm going to throw him out there with Rodney Hood. I think those are probably two of the best two-way players on this list. You have a lot of these guys who specialize on one side of the floor, and I think both these guys hold their own on both sides of the ball. Porzingis, 
the offense is there. I don't think I think the Knicks have favored using him too much on the perimeter, which is something that's pretty bizarre for a three point lover like myself to say. But if he can get in the post a little bit more, we've seen what he can do in those moves. He's becoming a better passer already. His three point shooting is still a little cold, but he's not afraid to shoot him and and he's close to average as a rookie. And at seven three, that's impressive enough. I do think where some people fall on that line of overhyping him. And then there are people who think that he's just not as good as that overhype. I fall somewhere in the middle because I think he's been very good for most of the season. Not as good as Towns, but closer than most people think. It's it's interesting to me just because he has been in a slump for such an extended period of time now that I wonder if his actual shooting ability is a little bit lower than we thought early in the season. But even if it is, this guy is absolutely an impact player. I mean, coming into the draft... Like It was rebounding and post-defense that were his biggest perceived weaknesses. And he's been a great rebounder and has held his own against some matchups. I mean, he's going to get bullied around by bigger centers and power forwards because he is still pretty rail thin, and he'll fill out as time goes on. But already a good rebounder, already a good rim protector, already a pretty skilled big man, especially for a 7-3 guy. Like It's hard not to absolutely love his game. Yeah, and I mean, that slump you were talking about was even sort of overstated. You look at his last 12 games, he's averaging about 14 points, 7 rebounds, and shooting better than 40% from 3 in under 30 minutes a game. Uh, The issue with him is, will he ever become an efficient scorer closer to the basket? I think he's shown, like you said, that he's not completely useless when you use him in the post or against these bigger bodies, but he has difficulties adjusting his shots or even using his height to his advantage when he's shooting over guys, he's almost more comfortable on the perimeter right now. And I think that's why you see his shooting percentages drag down to closer to 40% because he doesn't have that touch around the rim yet or enough strength or enough experience just against these bigger bodies up front. So that's my biggest concern with him now. But you're right to point out that the bi- his biggest concern was his defense. Everyone thought he was going to be bad, one, because he was from Europe, and two – uh, because he was rail thin, and he's been a very good defender. He's a solid rim protector. He can defend point guards. The Knicks use him with the way they switch. Sometimes the Kings use Willie Cauley-Stein, and no, that's not ideal, but the other night, he's keeping pace with John Wall and blocking his shot at the rim. That's really encouraging from a 23, uh, excuse me, a 20-year-old. I'm curious who you're going to compare him to now, because I know coming into his rookie season, a lot of people wanted to say that he was like a more athletic Dirk Nowitzki which is fine. It's not necessarily saying he's going to have that kind of career. It's just saying he plays similarly. I'm not sure that's accurate, though. Like, in some ways it is, but he's also a better rebounder and profiles as a much better defender than Dirk ever was. I would like, I mean, we both know I'm not afraid to toot my own horn, but I would like credit for, before he even stepped foot in the regular season, uh, for saying that he was a cross-hybrid DNA breed of DeAndre Jordan and Dirk Nowitzki, just because I think he's probably never going to be the most elite of rim protectors. Those blocks you're going to see are sort of superficial, just like the way you see them with DeAndre Jordan, but he's going to be on the borderline of defensive player of the year potential. He's going to rebound. He's going to be a great finisher outside the pick and roll, and that's DeAndre. And then you look at Dirk, I think those post moves will come. We've seen some of them, and he already has the range, and I think ultimately he could end up being a better facilitator or at least an uh, equal distributor to what Dirk has been over his career. So just to clarify, what you're saying is that he's going to shoot 70% and they're all going to be threes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's basically, in a nutshell, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. But is that not, could you not, I guess, see it? Like, No, I think, gonna... it's, I think it's absolutely valid. So just, I want I'm credit for that. Here. When Porzingis is at his Hall of Fame speech, I hope he acknowledges 20 years from now or 25 years you got to give him that five-year cushion after retirement so i'm going to make this next pick for three reasons one because i think he's the best player left two i don't want you to have him and three i really like him i was really before you even pick i was really hoping you weren't gonna because of how your first two picks went yeah so i'm gonna take my biggest man crush in the nba right now and that is Nikola Jokic from the denver nuggets this guy is incredible. Like, if you haven't heard of him, go watch every highlight video on YouTube that exists because he's so much fun. We're talking about a rookie 
who can make three-pointers. He's shooting 40% from downtown right now this season. He can feed the ball into really tight spaces, whether it's over a front or to a cutter. Um, he's actually initiating some offense for Denver. Um, his shot from everywhere is good. His post moves looks good. He's, he's actually playing really impactful defense because he's overcoming a relative lack of athleticism with just positioning that goes beyond his years to the point that the best comparison that I can come up with with right now for him might be that he's Marcus Gasol with more range. And that's incredibly lofty. Uh, I know that Dan has a, has a slightly different one that is similarly lofty. But this guy is just an absolute stud. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said, but I almost feel like you're selling him short on an individual level in terms of Marcus Gasol. I could see him, if you want to talk about having a profound impact on your team, uh, until recently, the past two or three years or so, that was Marcus Gasol for Memphis. But the more I watch Jokic, and you've seen him way more than I have, he just looks like Kevin Love with defensive player of the year potential. I think it would be fair, if we want to take it to two extremes, if Marcus Gasol and Kevin Love had a baby, <laughs> like Nikola Jokic, that would be the play style. I, I don't know if he would look the same, but I think <laughs> from a playing style standpoint, it works. And I've also, I've also been able to spend a little bit of time around him in the locker room. The other thing he brings to the team is chemistry. Like This is a guy who's genuinely excited to be in the NBA and has so much fun. He messes around with reporters who are trying to do interviews. He, he screws with his teammates. He's dancing around. He's, he's always having fun. He's embracing what it means to be a rookie in the NBA. And I think that that does matter a little bit. Uh, absolutely. And he doesn't play enough yet. I know the Nuggets are using him more, but they have way too much talent up front. I want to see them trade Kenneth Fareed so bad if anyone will take him. I know he hasn't necessarily been a detriment, but I want to open up just more minutes for Jokic. You know what? I don't care who you trade to get him those more minutes because any one of those guys, with the exception of Fareed, in my opinion, could be a nice long-term fit in Denver. I know I go back and forth on, and I'm going to butcher his name, uh, but Yosef Nurkic. I go back and forth. Should it be him just because he, he plays a more traditional post style? Should it be, again, Yafri Laverne or however you pronounce it? So I don't, I don't care who you move, but you need to move two of them because Jokic, he needs to be in there more. It's interesting that the Nuggets came into this offseason really viewing two players as untouchable, or so we were told in reports, and those were Yusuf Nurkic and Danilo Gallinari. Uh, as soon as they got Moutier... Uh, with with a top 10 pick, then he absolutely joined that class. But all of a sudden, I think we've seen Jokic become kind of the centerpiece of this rebuild. So I agree with you. The front court is way too crowded, and they're absolutely going to have to move pieces. And he should be the one that's untouchable. Fareed is insanely popular in Denver, but if you have to trade him, then you should do it. If you have to trade Lavernier, you do it. If you have to trade Nurkic, Lavernier. that's fine. So um, he's the untouchable would, one. Who would you like to see go? I'm partial to... Uh, I, again, you want depth, and I think you can – I can't pronounce his name. Lavernier, is that yep. what it is? Yep. I think he's someone who could come off the bench. So I think maybe you keep him, and then I would love to see Gallo at the four and Jokic at the five full-time. I think you fell on the Nurkic side of the camp, though, right? Yeah, I think that you need to trade him, especially because he's young. He has so much upside, and he – while he plays differently than Jokic, they are fairly similar players. I'm not sure that they can be complementary. So I think he's the one that you would have to move. And it's worth noting that the organization does have really high hopes for Lavernier. I mean, that was pretty clear when they, they asked for a late first-round pick to move him in trade talks. Um, and that's not something teams are just going to give up lightly. So just to clarify, you want them to move? Nurkic and whatever else they do is fine by me. Yeah, all right, I would agree. I think Nurkic and Fareed both have to go. And I, like I said, I think you can get away with Lavernier coming off the bench. And I think... And I don't think they've received enough playing time together just yet, but Gallo and, and Jokic could be a very deadly combination, and it's almost entirely because of Jokic. Like, Gallo isn't a good defender, but you know you have Jokic there, and then you have both of your big shooting threes. Which is incredible. Yeah, so I totally agree with you. I can also promise you that I'm not going to draft a big with my fourth pick. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to draft a big with my third pick. I'm going to go with he has a broken jumper, but he's a pretty good playmaker, and he's just a, just a tenacious defender. Marcus Smart. I don't need the shooting with Porzingis and Hood already on the team. And I love watching Marcus Smart play. <laughs> I don't love watching him shoot three-pointers, and he's taken an awful lot. But then there's the part of me that's like, 
you know what? I like that he's taking them because maybe they'll eventually go in. We saw John Wall avoid threes for the longest time. We see the magic game plan around Alfred Payton not being able to take jumpers. And the Celtics have pretty much just told Marcus Smart, like, just go out there and chuck. And I think that might be one of the best ways to learn. And if he can ever get his jump shot down, is this a guy that we're going to mention as one of the top 10 point guards in the league one day? I think it's possible. Can I, can I say that I think that's a smart pick or is that too corny? I'll let it slide just because I like when I get compliments for something I do. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, no, I, I, I like it. Um, I'm disappointed by the, the lack of development that we've seen from him as a shooter, but he is a playmaker and he is a really good defensive presence. And I, I think that you need that with Hood joining him in the backcourt because Hood hasn't been a great defender and you're going to have to slow down guards somehow. Right there with you. I think that, I mean, in smart, the Celtics, they don't really care who they put their wing defenders on. Like, they're, when you go through positions one through three and you look at Bradley and Turner and Smart, they will put whoever on, like, whomever. Smart can de- has defended small forwards uh, for parts of games this season. So I love that versatility. I'm a big fan of, again, those perimeter guys who can do a little bit of everything on one end of the floor. And I think Smart, in terms of defense, is definitely one of those players. This is kind of random, but do you remember when uh, over the offseason ESPN slash 538 came out with their Carmelo projection model and were like showing for all the players who they thought their best comparison was? And Marcus Smarts was James Harden. I remember what you're talking about. I don't remember Smart getting James Harden, no. I'm fairly sure that it was James Harden, which is hilarious, especially now that he's trending in the complete opposite direction. And it was. I'm, I'm confirming that now. I would wonder why that is just because I don't think they've, I don't think Smart has ever once looked like he was on the cusp of Harden's trajectory. If you want to say... He does use a Eurostep sometimes. I guess that works. If you want to say, I guess in terms of a playmaker and someone who could create his own shot, maybe. But in terms of specialties and just the, the shots they are taking, I don't see it. If that's what happens, though, oh my God. Could you imagine James Harden... With a defensive conscious? No. It's no, I impossible. couldn't, but, but that's how scary it is. That's why. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that that's allowed to exist. No. Um, so I believe we're up to you now, right? Number four? Yeah, with number four, I, I'm debating between a couple guards here. But ultimately, I think that I'm going to have to go with Zach Levine. Um, I love the strides he's made on offense this year. Uh, he's he's shooting the ball a little bit better. The percentages haven't improved that much, but the confidence is there. You know, there are a couple times a game where he he just gives one of those strokes where you know that it's going to go in. Um, he's also starting to cut down on the turnovers a little bit more, which is really encouraging. Um, and he's good at getting to the foul line uh, when he's when he's allowed to control the ball for that Minnesota team. So I, I think I need a an offensive threat. In the backcourt right now, I'm not worried about his ridiculously porous defense because I have Nerlens and and Carl Anthony Towns guarding the rim, so that that risk is completely mitigated. So I think he's the best option here. Absolutely, and I think his shooting, off ball shooting, has been the most underrated part of his game since he was a rookie. He's shooting better than 39 percent on catch and shoot triples right now. So he's that guy who can work in conjunction with others, and that's what again, that's what you want. You want guys who can play both on. And off the ball, his decision making is really, really bad at times. But but it's been so I, much better this year. It's been so much better. But and again, I don't want to put everything on Sam Mitchell, but just some of the things he said about Levine, you could tell he's invested time in Levine, which I love. But it, it sometimes seems like I don't know that he's using him in the wrong way, and they might need to give him. I know you're not a fan of positions, nor am I, but he might need to have some sort of an offensive identity. Is he a point guard? Or, or a wing. Let's say, is, is he going to be your quarterback or is he going to be you know one of your slot receivers? I think they really need to just decide that because I don't necessarily view him as a point guard. Again, you can have a shooting guard who handles the ball for your team, but they just seem to be like vacillating back and forth with him, and I don't like it. I literally have him written down on the piece of paper where I'm tracking our rosters as a guard. <laughs> I'm, I'm not making a designation there. Yeah, I, I know you don't have to, but I'm just saying in terms of his actual NBA career, I would like to see them let him carve out more of a niche than he has been able to. That's totally fair. That was my long roundabout way of saying <laughs> to what I just said. No, that's totally fair. 
But let's let's move on to your fourth pick. Uh, you're going to be pissed, but I do think, especially when you look at my team of Porzingis, Hood, and Smart, he's the best player available for it. Um, I'm going with Andrew Wiggins. Uh, I you're think break that, up my Minnesota contingent here. I think he has a long way to go, but I also think that, like Levine, he hasn't been used properly in Minnesota. I don't want to see him at shooting guard. You know what I want to see Andrew Wiggins doing? Small ball power forward. Like, if you throw him and Towns out in those small lineups, I know it's a little bit tough because you have Bajelica and Garnett and all those guys, but Andrew Wiggins is six freaking eight. I want to see him not playing shooting guard, play him at small forward definitely, but get him at power forward too. That's where you're going to create mismatches. Are you, are you trying to set up my Wiggins rant here? Yes, I knew it was coming, but I wanted to justify why I think because I'm still really high on Wiggins. I think once the Timberwolves get another coach in there or once he goes somewhere else, if we get to that point, you know, I, I think it will work. But he needs to be a small forward, and I think you need to give him that freedom to create mismatches at the four as well, and that's what it's going to take for him to get to his ceiling. I want to preface this by saying that I am also really high on Wiggins. I think that he is absolutely going to become a star player and that, like you said, Dan, that Sam Mitchell is not using him correctly. He was actually going to be my next pick if you didn't take him here. That doesn't mean that he hasn't been terrible this season. He's been one of the least valuable players in the NBA because he's a volume scorer who's below the league average, the league average in shooting efficiency. He doesn't create for himself. He turns the ball over more often than he gets assists. And he's been one of the worst defenders in the league. It's, it's not easy to see that unless you actually watch his off-ball work, which a lot of people don't do. But he's been atrocious on the defensive end. And part of that is being surrounded by a bunch of lackluster defenders in Minnesota. But he's also just not very disciplined yet. So if you're going to put him in the right situation, which I hope you are, he can be awesome. But that doesn't mean that he's been great so far this season. That also doesn't mean that he won't be great going forward. Do you think he sort of suffers on defense from, like, auto porteritis? Just because, like, I feel like Wiggins ball watches. Because there are sets when he's guarding on the ball, and he looked really, really good. But it's like you said, when he's not necessarily on ball, like, things just get all wonky for him. Yeah, I, he just doesn't. I mean, he's young. Like, we have to remember that. This is not like a 28-year-old veteran who... We're, we're picking on for his lack of defense. This is a guy who just hasn't learned how to play NBA caliber defense yet. I mean, he has the physical tools, and that was often enough when he was at Kansas, and it's not now. And until he realizes that and makes the necessary adjustments, and until his coaching staff puts him in the proper position yeah. to make those adjustments, then it's, it's tough. Yeah, you know, I also I did expect him to be a little bit better on that end, especially with KG being there, because if, if the message wasn't received from Sam Mitchell, you thought it would come from KG. And he's done a great job of mentoring. You see him talking to the Timber Pups, uh, you know, after games, before games, inside huddles. And I do think Andrew Wiggins will get better. It will be interesting, though, and this does deviate from the topic we're on, but the Timberwolves are, are pretty bad again. And if for some reason they end up, you know, they're probably not going to get Ben Simmons, but that would certainly throw a wrench in uh, Andrew Wiggins' development because suddenly you have these two players in Towns and Simmons who are better than Wiggins, let's say. And I think that's a real risk, even if the Timberwolves get a top three pick, let's say, is that someone could come in and Wiggins only being in year three, you know, he might not be as good as Towns or that rookie that Minnesota gets. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm going to disagree. And I would actually like to see that happen because I would think it would force him to spend less time worrying about putting up 20 points per game and more time actually trying to improve a lot of fundamental aspects of his game. I would love to see him take a, a Harrison Barnes-like career trajectory where you know this guy is super hyped in college, super hyped coming out of the draft and settles in as a really good role player and learns to thrive as an off-ball threat and learns to play good defense and how to function as part of a lineup and not just as an individual contributor. So even if it would be painful for him to take that step backwards, I think that it would have a, a long-term beneficial impact on the rest of his career. Yeah, and I guess all of this stuff still comes with the caveat that I don't necessarily think all of Minnesota's pieces complement one another just yet. You know, I don't know. I don't think you can move forward with both Levine and Rubio long-term. Um, is Shabazz Muhammad taking any touches away from Andrew Wiggins? I think Mitchell's done a very good job of playing the kiddies, but you know, in terms of the options, you don't even you can't look at Towns and be like, oh, hey, he's the number one. Like you have the balls in Rubio's hands, but Towns needs touches. 
Wiggins needs touches. It's still a little confusing at this point. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm going to move on to my next pick, though. Uh, and with my, my fifth selection, I'm going to go with Jordan Clarkson from the Los Angeles Lakers to round out my backcourt. Uh, coming into this season, I wasn't really sure what to think of Clarkson. I'll toot my own horn a little bit by saying that before he was drafted, I said that I thought he would be the best second-round gem from that draft class, and he did have a really good rookie season. But there were some concerns that that was just kind of a mirage, that as soon as the backcourt was more crowded when Kobe Bryant came back and was taking so many touches, he would kind of fall off the face of the earth and and regress back to where he should be, and that hasn't happened. I mean, he's averaging 15 points, four rebounds, two and a half assists a game. Not the most efficient player, but that's to be expected on a team where they just aren't generating much offense. And he's really held his own in a much more crowded backcourt that has D'Angelo Russell, that has Lou Williams, that has Kobe playing at the two. So I've been impressed with what I've seen from him enough that I, I want him over the other guards left. Yeah, I mean, I was considering him as one of my next picks. I think he... He is going to be really good. Again, he needs to be put in the right situation. And you kind of have to wonder if, uh, is his jumper ever really just going to come around consistently? And what is he? Do you want to see him as a shooting guard? Do you want to see him as a point guard? I'd like uh, to see him more as a shooting guard. Yeah, I mean, I think that role better suits him. Because even last season when he was given the freedom to sort of jumpstart the Lakers offense, he never really, you know, he had the stats, but he was never really like this huge playmaker. He averaged under four assists per game. His assist percentage wasn't through the roof overall, and I think he's looked a, a little bit more comfortable, and that's why you've seen his three-point shot has improved, because he's gotten to spend more time at shooting guard, because the Lakers have those extra guys to handle the ball. But, you know, he's going to be a restricted free agent. I don't know where he's going to end up, but I think we'll finally have the most accurate view possible of him during his third year, because if he's still in L.A., Kobe will be gone. But if he's somewhere else, it will presumably be for a more functional franchise. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see him leave L.A. just because they need to hang on to the good young players that they do have, and he is one of them. Uh, I also like him on my Rising Stars team because he and Levine are both 6'5". Totally interchangeable at the guard spots, both on offense and defense. They can each handle the ball. They can each serve off the ball. So it kind of fits in with my all-encompassing lack of positions mentality. Um, well, I'm going to move on to my next pick, since we're getting to the less sexy section of these anyway. Do you want to know something I just learned by looking at this? Of course. And I did not know this until right now. I had no idea that Super Mario was 6'8". I had none. I thought he was 6'6", six, six, maybe 6'7". Six, I'm taking him for my team. We are parenting this small ball lineup. Uh, Wiggins and Mario, uh, excuse me, Hood, Wiggins and... Uh, Super Mario, pretty much interchangeable in any wing position now for me. Um, Hazanya isn't afraid to shoot, like even a little bit. His three-point stroke's already okay for being his first year in the league. I think he'll be a great guy to work off of driving kicks and outside of those sets with Porzingis in the post. And just in general, I think he's going to be really good. The Magic have a ton of stuff to figure out, and you're going to need to move on from Evan Fournier and probably one or two of Tobias Harris, Victor Oladipo, and Alfred Payton to really get Super Mario his necessary touches and, and let him actualize his ceiling. But damn, I think he's going to be really, really good. Not, we might not see it for a couple of years. He might be one of those long-term projects that's just not super good until later in his career, but I think he will get there. Yeah, coming into this this 2015 draft, I... I told a couple of people, I think you were one of them, that I thought Hazania and Porzingis were going to be the two best players in this class. I think I was definitely wrong because of Towns, um, but I, st I still maintain that Hazania is going to be awesome when he gets a chance. And to me, it even goes beyond the skills he's displayed, and it's the mentality. I mean, this is a guy who is confident to the point that it borders on cockiness, and that's a good thing. For an NBA player trying to carve out a role and trying to prove that he does belong as he's making this leap from overseas play to playing at the sport's highest level. I love it. I think it's absolutely going to help him. And he does have the skills. Uh, I'm totally with you there. I love him. And again, I don't know when. Uh, I think he needs to be cut loose. Hopefully that'll happen in Orlando at some point. They look like they're eventually going to consolidate their assets, whether it's this season or over the summer. But he just looks like he's going to be super fun. I do wonder... When we talk about guys like him who are this confident and have this crazed sense of self and just his play style, is he going to be a good defender? 
I, I just I, I want to know. And I think you can see it there. He has the physical tools. But is he going to be a good defender? Because I don't want to bring up this comparison, but just in terms of someone who isn't a star or isn't yet a star and has the same sort of self-assuredness in his shooting stroke and off the dribble moves, J.R. Smith, just in terms of bravado, and he's never committed himself to the defensive end. I think Kazania will be better, but overall, even as an offensive player, he has the star ceiling that I don't think Smith truly ever had, but will he get there on defense? That's really just my biggest question for him. Yeah, it's going to be all about mentality because he does have the physical tools. Like you said, he's 6'8". He has pretty long arms. He has the athleticism necessary to be an impact defender at multiple positions. So we just have to see if it's going to happen now. I'm going to take a guy, though, who is not a good defender and is not a good playmaker and is very limited because all he can do is shoot threes. But that's really all I want him to do, and that's Boyan Bogdanovich. The, uh, the crop of forwards in this game is really bad. <laughs> like... Now that he's off the board, the only ones left are Jabari Parker, Trey Lyles, and Dwight Powell are the only ones who are even listed as forwards. Parker's a power forward, even though he vacillates between the two positions. Lyles Does is a power even? forward. Does he even? I feel like Not the Bucks really. throwing him a shooting guard at points this year because they're so stupid. He should be a power forward, plain Parker. and simple. And then we have uh, Dwight Powell and I guess Clint Capella also who play power forward. So this is the only guy left who really can play the three. And I don't really want to throw out a three-guard lineup against Marcus Smart, Rodney Hood, and Andrew Wiggins because that is a recipe for disaster. So I'm going to have to bite the bullet and take the one-trick pony here. Yeah, I don't have any cause. I mean, it's kind of a low-end pick. I would think that there are definitely more talented players on the board. Agreed. I, I think 100% need- agreed. But it's funny because while you have to pass on Jabari, I do not. And I have the opportunity to bring him off the bench as a four or let him start at the four alongside Porzingis and that'll be interesting because in Milwaukee right now he doesn't have the defensive talent behind him just because you have Greg Monroe there uh, and Milwaukee has just changed the way they play but imagine pairing him you know with a rim protector like Porzingis and on that note if you look at the Bucks, their starting lineup until this point I know they recently changed it up but when you put John Henson alongside Jabari Parker instead of Greg Monroe Everything just clicks for the Bucks, and Milwaukee hasn't realized it yet, and it's disgusting. It's, it's honestly disgusting. You give this kid a chance to not only play the four, but to have defensive talent behind him that can cover up for his miscues, and he's going to be great. And I don't, know if, I don't know if Milwaukee has to get the hit eventually, but that's been – I'm flabbergasted still as to why they're using him the way they are. You say sometimes he plays power forward. I don't even have the splits right in front of me, but he's played – Small forward, way, way, way too much this season. I'm looking at it right now, and actually most of his minutes have come at power It's forward. 5% at small forward, and it's still way, way, way too often. Wow, I didn't think they were playing him at power forward well, that part of it, part of it is the way, I think the basketball reference lists the, the players' positions based on how tall they are. So when he shares the court with Giannis Antetokounmpo, then that's going to push him down oh. the lineup, which doesn't really make sense. So actually, I have no idea what's going on. But regardless, Milwaukee frustrates me so much because they had the potential to be such a good modern team. You know, you've got guys like Chris Middleton, like Giannis, like Jabari Parker, like John Henson, who can play multiple positions and who can be interchangeable parts on the defensive end. And you have a coach in Jason Kidd who actually goes on the record saying that he wants to play like that. And then they don't. I don't. The Bucks make no sense anymore. And they're, they have the potential to turn in to, thi- to this I don't want to say this year is because it's over a span of multiple seasons, but they could be the Phoenix Suns all over again. You look at what happened to Phoenix in 2013, 2014. You win 47 games, almost make the playoffs, and you double down on a flawed model. And now the Bucks are doing the same. I know I'm they're more built. Inclined, I'm more inclined to think of them as like the Charlotte Hornets, where they started to make some strides, didn't quite get there, took a massive step backwards, and now they're back to being competitive. Because I still think this team is going to have the pieces. Like Phoenix, Phoenix did not have the personnel. That was the biggest issue. And the, the front office just what? horribly mismanaged everything. And that's not they, what we're seeing happen here. They have the, the Phoenix had the personnel to run the style they wanted. They just didn't pick the right style. Milwaukee, I, I guess I see your point in terms of the difference. I don't think this team, as currently constituted, will really amount to anything like it should. Yes, they have the talent to play different styles. But you know what that's going to take? Moving Greg Monroe to the bench like they just did, or trading him—you can't keep Monroe on the bench. Like they're not, like that's just absurd. 
to bring this guy who's your is he he's their highest paid player? Yes. Well, he just got a nice contract, so absolutely. Yeah. So now you're now you're bringing him off the bench. Like what? Like did you think this through before they signed him? And I'm not sure if it's really. You know, again, their defense is statistically better this year with Greg Monroe on the floor. I actually don't know if that's changed, but that comes down to matchups and the talent around him. They're defending differently, and that's what's really hurting them. If they ever want to actualize the team they should be, you know what? It's time to throw out John Henson more. Like, it, it has that to happen. That should have happened a long time ago. Why did you pay him? Again, this isn't a I lot. I have no idea. Why did you pay him $44 million? I have no clue. Think about how many other teams could have used him. Like, just think about right now, like, where would he be a great fit? Like, pretty much everywhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it frustrates me. Milwaukee is probably the team that has frustrated me the most this season. Yeah, they're definitely the most disappointing. I, I think the most frustrated I've been, maybe not lately, but was watching the Boston Celtics. Um, for a while, they were, like, vacillating in and out. I think we've both said vacillating at least twice in this podcast. I've only said but, it once, so. I meant like total. Oh, now okay. we're up four times because I just said it three Vacillating. times. They've been, shim- they've been shimmying, you know, in and out of the top four. Now they look like they're finally going to be the third best team in the East, but it's just been tough to watch. Anyway, speaking of good fits for John Henson, Boston would have been fun. Boston but- would have been a lot of fun. And speaking of Boston, I think it's worth noting that the Fats model right now actually does have them as the third best team in the Eastern Conference, and they're only marginally behind the Pacers for the second slot. Yeah, uh, that, that is pretty incredible. So I'm going to bring it back on track, though, and make my next pick, and that's D'Angelo Russell. Um, oh. I like the synergy of having him and Jordan Clarkson together, and beyond that, I need a guy who can actually like serve as a true point guard on this team and can actually generate some assists. And even though Byron Scott and the Lakers haven't really let him do that, we know that this guy has the vision necessary to make things happen, and we will actually let him do that here. Um, with Levine and Clarkson, both of those guys aren't necessarily like true distributors. I think Russell can be. And I think that he's having a much better rookie season than a lot of people are giving him credit for. Like This guy, is he, he hasn't celebrated his 20th birthday yet. He has almost 20, so he's still 19, and he's averaging 12... 3.6 and 3.3 on a terrible team playing for a coach that doesn't even want to use him. Like it really seems like Scott wants to do everything in his power to sabotage D'Angelo Russell's career. And Russell is still making a pretty decent impact. Like he's not a good defender. He's a limited player, but he's a rookie point guard. Like it's to be expected. You know what the issue is with him? And I do think part of it's Byron Scott and bringing him off the bench and the things he says to him, you're also playing next to Kobe and there's only so many touches available when you're doing that. But there's no in-between with him. Like, when he's on, he looks like a future Hall of Famer. But when he's off, he looks like a huge bust. Yep. And until he finds that middle ground, it's probably going to take a coaching change. But I still like um, the comparison that he made himself where he said he studied a lot of Stephen Curry's and Manu Ginobili's films, and he likes to carve his game after both of those players. And I could see it. He's got the quickness, the craftiness, the shot when he's on. Uh, defensively, he has the size to succeed. So uh, he will eventually turn into something. It's just a matter of getting a better opportunity. And I've been pretty frank about this all season, just playing for a more competent coach. Agreed. Um, this is a really tough pick for me now because I actually didn't think you were going to take D'Angelo Russell, and I really wanted to add him to the party I was throwing. So I want another guard. Um, and I guess I'm just going to take Emmanuel Moutier right now. I love the way he's been keeping his dribble of late. Hopefully his shot eventually develops. It doesn't look good right now. He should be an offensive plus in due time. Again, just because the way he maneuvers in and out of the paint, he flings these kickouts in traffic as good as John Wall did when he was a rookie. So that's certainly promising. Again, the biggest knock on him seems to be uh, his lack of range. And I do think he's been worse defensively than I thought he was going to be because he has the size and the athleticism and the explosion just to cover both guards and shooting guards, and he just he gets picked off of screens really easily. His pick-and-roll defense is not good. It, he just doesn't seem to really have a handle on anything on that side of the ball. But I th- again, I think he's going to be really good, and I don't think he's been horrible this season. He has his own individual numbers that haven't translated uh, onto a profound uh, you know, scale for the Denver Nuggets, but he still played well on an individual level. And you know, if you're going to bring him off the bench for my team behind Marcus Smart, how do you go wrong? 
it's interesting that you bring up that he's doing a better job holding on to the ball and maintaining his dribble because that was one thing that was really noticeable that he did not do at the beginning of this rookie season. He seemed to get caught up in the air a lot and had no idea what he was going to do, and it led to a lot of unforced errors and turnovers. Uh, But yeah, lately he has been doing a lot better with that, and credit to the Nuggets for actually allowing him to develop on the job because this guy has been statistically one of the worst players in the NBA this year, and they're okay with that because they know that he's a centerpiece and they know that he's going to keep showing flashes and start to work on the things that are holding him back the most. So I I thought he was going to be a star before he was picked by any team. And despite how bad he's been at times, I still really feel that way. I don't I don't think you should feel any other way. The Nuggets as a team are just developing. And again, Moutier will get there, but he's a rookie point guard. And I think while some guys are going to come in and have uh, good inaugural campaigns, there's a really big learning curve at that position, especially when you're in the West and you look at the guys he has to go up against every single night. And again, he has, you know, you he has a lot of other I don't want to say the talent around him hurts him because it's so good, but he's not necessarily getting the chance to be who he needs to be because you look at all the other talent that's around him. You know, Kenneth Reed isn't a good partner for him, period, but you need to give Gallo his touches where you're not going to play him off the ball ball much. Jokic has just been Good. You have Will Barton who needs to play on the ball as well. And again, I think he'll get used to it. And this is something different than than he's accustomed to. And he'll get there. I don't think there's any reason to believe right now that he's behind the eight ball. No, maybe he's not. I predicted he was going to win Rookie of the Year after they traded Ty Boston. But um, I don't think there's any reason to be concerned about what's happened. No, not at all. And I I do like the pick for your team. Um, So I'm going to move on to mine. I'm really tempted to take Jaleel Okafor here just because I think he's by far the most talented player left. Um, just a really good scorer, but I don't really need a fourth, like, kind of true center. So I'm going to take Trey Lyles. Um, I need an actual power forward here uh, to go up, to go behind Nerlens in the depth chart. And I'm just, I'm really drawn to a, a stretch in January where over 11 games, he averaged 10.1 points and 6.1 rebounds in 28 minutes. Um, he shot 51% from the field. He shot 52% from beyond the arc. Like This guy has really come along nicely. Didn't look good at the beginning of the year or before the season started. Um, and has, has really come into his own and carved out a nice little role for himself on the Jazz. And he's not going to play as much now that, now that Favors and, and Gobert are both healthy. But we, we've seen what he can do. Uh, we know that he can stretch out the court, can knock down some mid-range jumpers. We know that he's a good rebounder. Uh, so I, I like what he brings to the table. I, I wonder if I can slide him over to the three in some gigantic oversized lineups, but we're going to stick him in as the uh, the backup power forward here. I think it helps you that you probably could, but I don't think he's going to keep up with small forwards in general, but you just look at my team and how small we're going to be playing. Uh, it would be tough for him to really have to, you know, let's say do battle against a guy. like. Could you imagine him going up against Rodney Hood? We have a major contrast in styles here. You've always been more, I don't want to say traditional, but you like having, like, you, you don't care about floor spacing as much as I do. No, I don't. So. I think your your biggest guy is Porzingis. Well, he's 7'3". He's the Jabari biggest Parker, guy in the he, draft. Yeah, but he's not, he's not as big as his height would indicate. You know? And I, I, would, I would consider Towns, uh, Jokic, and Nerlens Noel bigger than Porzingis, even if they're whoa, not as tall. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right. Jokic, no. Maybe if you want to go as far as Burlier. Um, Towns and Noel, definitely. I'm not giving you Jokic. No, I think I, Jokic. I'm, just, I'm just emphasizing how much of a contrast in styles we have going on here. I just, Especially I just because I have like three like combo guards. I just want to your point guards. <laughs> I want to accentuate how much better my team is, is all I'm trying to say. Well, we'll leave that to the listeners. Um, Don't get I ahead am, of yourself here. <laughs> I'm going to go with, though after you stole Trey Lyles from me, who I was going to play at center. <laughs> um, I'm going to pick Dwight Powell. Uh, I think he's probably one of the more versatile players uh, on this docket, especially he's the most versatile player that's left, obviously, so that's a no-brainer for me and what I value. He has not developed into the stretch 4-5 that Dallas wanted him to, but you know this is the type of game where his athleticism will be rewarded. Um, he can help you in terms of providing... Some shot blocking, not much. Again, he doesn't do anything too well. He's a good rebounder and he hustles, but I'll take that raw athleticism in an exhibition like this. Yeah, um, 
I really can't complain about that. And in the interest of time, I think I'm just going to move on to the next pick because we don't want to keep our listeners here for like 24 hours. Nope, um, so I'm going to go ahead and, and go with Alfred Payton. Uh, I, I, again, I need the guy who can actually distribute. It helps that he plays good defense. And he's actually become a pretty decent shooter this year. I don't know if anybody really realizes it, but he's shooting 36.8% from three-point territory as opposed to 26.2% last year. So that's a huge jump in the right direction. And it's come while he's taking more shots. We're not really going to use him in that role much. We have enough shooting to go around already. But it's nice that he can do that. It's nice that he can lock down on defense, which will be really useful uh, for whenever I have to play Trey Lyles and Bogdanovich together. Uh, so, Peyton, it is. I had no idea he was shooting almost 37% from three-point range, and, and that's big. It scares the crap out of me that he's sort of regressed between the three-point line and 16 feet. You don't want someone taking those shots, but more than 10% of his shots come from there, and he's shooting 27%. He does also not finish around the rim very well. Uh, he was just barely over 50% inside three feet last year, and he's not even at 55% this year, which is definitely below average for the league. But I think for the role you're using him in, again, I have major concerns about him for the rest of his career, but there's no denying his defensive potential. He is a solid playmaker. He's Rajon Rondo in that way, uh, in terms of playmaking. He keeps his dribble really well. He sees things that other people don't. And I probably would have taken him if I already didn't have, you know, just two point guards on my roster. Um, I am not above taking, and I'm I'm playing strategy now. I'm taking uh, Neto. Is that how you pronounce his last Raul name? Raul Nito, yeah. I knew oh Raul Nito. I knew it was Raul, but I'm taking him. Um, he's superb defensively. He's an okay playmaker. He doesn't shoot very well, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe that's picked up uh, a little bit, but you know I'll take that. He has some size. You know, six four is kind of above average or right at the average for a point guard, and I'll throw him on some shooting guards. If I have to, um, he's shooting 39.4% from deep, and I had no idea he was doing that. So I feel 10 times better about picking him. Uh, he still doesn't have the greatest instincts on offense, though. But I think as a backup, he's absolutely solid. I hate you because I needed him on this team way more than the two bigs who are left. Um, I am going to pick, and I'm totally stalling here. Man, I- what? I've got to go Clint Capella here, which makes Jaleel Okafor the last pick because I can't justify having Okafor and Nerlens Noel on the court together because we know they don't work. Philadelphia has proven that. And I don't have another big that I can pair with him that's going to make him anything but a glaring defensive liability when he does get to play. So I think Capella is the worst, is going to be the worst player as their careers progress, but... He fits better here, and you can have a lot of fun dealing with Okafor's defense because I think that we have a rule that we have to play all of our players. Right. Um, you know, and it's not, you know, things aren't going to be much different. I guess it helps that I have way better perimeter defenders than the Sixers have, so he won't be exposed to the rim as much. But Porzingis isn't any better than Noel there, so you'll still deal with some of the same issues. My thought process, though, I knew you were going to take Nito or wow, Raul Neto. Neto. I knew you were going to take Raul Neto if I didn't take him. And I really wanted Capella, but I thought I was going to get stuck with Jaleel Okafor anyway. So I had a I had a pick up Neto. I don't know how Okafor fits into my team. For yours, Capella's just a good pick and roll guy, and he's he's a, a pretty good rim protector. He's not doing as well as he did last year, but the Rockets um, they've been really dabbling with these Dwight Howard, Clint Capella lineups that I'm not too fond of. You know, I don't really want to see um, Capella play that much power forward, and, and more than a quarter of his minutes have been spent there this season, and that's a problem because he doesn't have range. But I like, I love him. I think he's a great pick. Um, again, is that, I think he's, I think he's Dwight Howard if Dwight Howard knew what he was supposed to be. Finish off the pick and roll and play yeah. defense. He's never going to be, he's never going to be as good as Dwight Howard, but yeah, I, I mean, you're talking about a guy it. who's a Hall of Famer, so... Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, Dwight Howard... Think about how much better Dwight Howard would have been if he would have just dropped yep. the whole post-up thing. Yep. So, I, I, I mean... Agree. I do think we have to talk about Okafor here, because it's interesting that he fell all the way to pass. the last pick. And I don't think that it's really a knock on his skill set as much as an admission that it's really difficult to make him work 
in the modern NBA, especially with all these young players, because he is such a liability on defense. And he plays a fairly outdated style of offensive basketball, too. I mean, in the right scheme, I don't think there's any doubt that he could be an all-star level player. And he's putting up some big numbers for the Sixers right now. But it's hard to make him work on any of these teams because you don't have that that either rim protector or floor spacer that's going to look really good next to him at power forward. He is hit. Like, he needs to play center. And you need to, like, he would fit on a team like the Celtics just because they have all those perimeter guys. Yeah, and they guys. need a go-to score. Right. So I, I just, um, I'm looking right now, but it's so tough to get a read on any rookie in Philadelphia be, just because of, you know, they're getting that volume, and that doesn't necessarily mean anything. You know, we saw it with MCW where he put up numbers that were similar to Magic Johnson during his rookie season, but he did it on such and low efficiency. he's just not very good at basketball. Well, yeah, there's and but his was more easy. I think you could see and be like, wow, this kid can't shoot. He can't finish at the rim. That's going to be an issue. But Okafor right now is posting the second highest usage rate of any rookie big man, 6'10 or taller, in league history. DeMarcus Cousins is the only one that had a higher one. And, you know, he's panned out okay, but he could also do things that, you know, Okafor can't right now. So I don't think he's necessarily going to be horrible. And I do think it's a problem for where he's at and the way the Sixers are built. But it is troubling, even in that poor situation, that we're looking at the third overall pick in the draft. And he was drafted last behind Dwight Powell. Yeah, that's that's not a good sign. It's not. Uh, in the interest of, of keeping our, our listeners up to date here, I think it would be beneficial to go over how we see our depth charts. So I'll just go real fast and, and say that I have... Zach Levine, Jordan Clarkson, and D'Angelo Russell kind of all shuffling between the guard positions with Alfred Payton as like a strict backup point guard. Unfortunately, Boyan Bogdanovich at small forward. Uh, power forward, we got Nerlens Noel and Trey Lyles. And then at center, we have Carl Anthony Towns, Nikola Jokic, and Clint Capella. Um, I was actually not doing my depth chart, so I'm like kind of filling it out as I go right now. Um, I sort of see my team as smart. And, um, okay, wow. Emmanuel Moutier are just my point guards, uh, hands down. I think they'll be a fun crew. I am starting Wiggins uh, at power forward uh, because I think that that's where he should be at 6'8". Jabari is going to be my backup power forward. Uh, my center position is Pazingis followed by Powell. Okafor is my third string center. I just don't. He has to play, but I don't necessarily. You'll leave him on the court for one possession. Right, I just don't think he needs to play um, much. Uh, at shooting guard, I'm going to go with Hood, and then I'm going to put you know Super Mario at the three, and then you have Neto who can uh, help at shooting guard or even point guard coming off uh, the bench, uh, and you also have, I think that might be it. I think I'm good. I think I covered that all my bases. That does it. So I think with that out of the way, it's time to move on to. Yes, that's right. It is time for what burns my bacon, and I believe that I will be getting the uh, pork-smelling stick today. Um, I'm going to briefly just talk about the Knicks and how confusing they are. I don't even want to say I disagree with their decision to fire Derek Fisher. It's all just so confusing. Is Phil Jackson, team president Phil Jackson, and I, I still don't think we know for sure, but is he married to the triangle to the point that that's the only way that he wants the Knicks to win and play. And we'll know a lot more when they hire their next coach. If they don't even entertain guys who aren't Luke Walton or Kurt Rambis or Brian Shaw, then we'll know. And that's not necessarily a good thing because the triangle, again, it can work. It can create a lot of corner three-pointers. But you look at teams, obviously the Spurs and the Warriors are the model for that. They incorporate elements of the triangle into a bigger offense. And if you want to do that, that's fine. But again, just in terms of on a macro view, maybe Derek Fisher wasn't the right coach for this team. I didn't like uh, his love affair with Sasha Vujicic, with Kevin Serafin. Porzingis needed to play more down the stretch and be used more down the stretch. And he just wasn't, he didn't seem like a great leader or a good X's and O's guy. But I'm not confident that Jackson's going to go out and find that guy because I wonder, is it only going to be, Zach Lowe said it this way, coaches off his coaching shrub because it isn't even a trait. Like it's just, it's woefully awful 
when you look at it. Maybe we'll know more toward the end of the season after the All-Star break if the Knicks play even better. But it's a very scary time to be a Knicks fan because you can see potential in this roster, most notably in the Mello-Porzingis pairing. And you can't help but wonder, are Phil and crew going to somehow waste it? All right, so we're going to put you in charge of the Knicks for the next minute or so. What would you do? What's your first move there, whether it's hiring a coach or, you know, we have the trade deadline approaching. Are you making a big move? You need to find a point guard. Um, and that's easier said than done because you don't necessarily have the assets to trade Porzingis for one. for Jeff Teague, done. No, I'll cry. <laughs> um, and I don't necessarily, you know what? And I would let Jerry and Grant and Galloway get extended spin together just because to try something different. Grant can't shoot which is a problem in the triangle for a point guard, but he, he's a legitimate point guard. And he's not necessarily, again, he's not the shooter Calderon is, but he drives to the rim. But again, I think the Knicks need to figure out what style they're playing, and I think they need to, ma- like, that's the biggest thing for me. And you're, you're saying, where do I start? I don't even know where to start because I don't know where the Knicks are. But I would like to see them get a point guard. In an ideal world, I would give up anyone and everyone, not named Mello or Porzingis or a first-round draft pick for the Thunder to give me Cameron Payne. What about at coach? Do you have a preference there? If we're just going in terms of being realistic, someone Jackson would actually look at and, and hire no, as well. I don't think we need to be realistic because, like you said, the Jackson, the Jackson tree is more of a Jackson shrub, and we haven't really seen guys from those branches go on and have much success. So you're in charge here. Phil Jackson has nothing to do with it. What would you do? I'd probably bring in... You know what? I'm not going to lie. I'd probably still bring in Luke Walton. Uh, I think he knows how to mix in the triangle at this point with uh, other types of offensive plays. It's tempting to say Tom Thibodeau, and he is a defensive stud, but I don't think Thibodeau, I don't necessarily want him in charge of my team because I want someone who's going to monitor minutes. You want to give Tibbs as a defensive specialist, uh, then sure. But if you're bringing in Tibbs, you better bring in, like, if you're bringing in Tibbs, you better throw $10 million a year at Mike D'Antoni to be your associate head coach. I think Walton's just, in terms of the available names out there, he's the most balanced in terms of what the Knicks would be able to do. And I don't think there's, on a, on a bigger scale, is there a lot of good candidates out there right now? Like, I know we're drawn to Thibodeau because of his name, but like, who else is there? I have no idea how you're going to react to this one, but I kind of want them to look at Scott Brooks. Uh, we, gave, we bashed him a lot for the job that he did when the Thunder were good because the sets got stale and there wasn't much creativity beyond, hey, Westbrook, hey, Durant, go run an isolation set. Um, But he did a great job developing that team. We saw Westbrook improve every year. We saw Durant expand his game to the point that he became a playmaker, a positive presence on the defensive end. We saw Serge Ibaka improve. And if if you look at the Knicks, they could be in a similar position to the early Thunder with just a little bit less talent. Um... But if, if you want a guy who's going to get the most out of Jerry and Grant and Langston Galloway and, and Christoph Porzingis and really everyone on the roster that isn't established like Carmelo Anthony, then he could be a good option for the next couple of years. Yeah. Is he more It's not like, a sexy name. No, and it doesn't need to be a sexy name. I'm just, I think he's good for a young group. I just don't know if the Knicks are, they're not young. You have Porzingis, but you've put guys in place already who are going to take care of him outside the head coach. Is he, he can never get the Thunder, like the, the Thunder, it seemed, were always really bad at getting plays out of timeouts um, or getting Durant the ball down the stretch with Brooks. And so I think Donovan, he hasn't changed the offense that much. I think Westbrook has developed into more of a pure point guard, if we can even still use that term. He's, he's just not taking as many shots. And that's the best thing for the Thunder offense right now. But he hasn't changed much. It just seems like their execution on offense, defense isn't that great, is just is just better, but we've even talked about those sets getting stale, so maybe it wasn't Brooks's fault. Maybe if you had um, a foundation in place where you're allowed to move the ball, because remember, he was working with so many ball dominators, and right now the Knicks' only true ball dominator is Mello, so maybe that would help him. I wouldn't mind it. The, K- the KD tie would be nice. <laughs> Thinking about that free agency pitch, huh? He would run out the room. Yeah, probably. Um, but that does it for us tonight. I hope you've all enjoyed mine and Adam picking our Rising Stars team. We are going to put out a poll on Twitter uh, to see who thinks uh, who you think would win, my team or his team, Team Favs or Team Fro. Uh, to do that, if you want to talk to us about our picks, you can get at Adam 
at Frommel09. That's F-R-O-M-A-L-09. I can be found at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. And Andy Bailey, who does not love you guys and is, as much as us and is not here tonight, he can be found at, at Andrew D. Bailey, spelled like it sounds. All of us can be found at the Hardwood Knox account. And please remember to vote on whose team is better. Until next time. Shout out Binudra. You guys are going to have to shout out Trey Burke because he's been so much better than Udre this season. I know. Right now, there are great deals to escape to Europe in spring and summer on direct flights to Ireland with Aer Lingus. Stay put in cool, contemporary capital Dublin or head off to any of 20 amazing European cities you've always wanted to visit. Classical chic Rome, Paris, the home of romance, or London, the cutting edge of culture. Deals are for a limited time only, so hurry and book today. Smart says escape to Europe this spring and summer. Smart flies Aer Lingus. Book now at aerlingus.com. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.